Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Inside Sports is brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Enjoy the show. Deal with it. It all starts uh, with a couple of things. We're dealing with the pandemic virus that's uh, fracturing our nation, and now we even further with all the protests that have been going on for the last four or five days. It's become a very difficult uh, scenario to say the least. Uh, Why all this is going on? There's obviously protest to the uh, George Floyd murder, which was in fact a murder. And I'm not going to get into uh, the political side of this because to me there's no political side. It's a man who was murdered and it was unnecessary. And the scene is quite vivid. The video is, is, is expressly clear. A policeman had his knee on the neck of George Floyd. He screamed out he couldn't breathe. And he continued to put his knee on, on his neck for a nine-minute period, and three other policemen are standing by watching it. Uh, I, I don't know what, what all the discussion is. It's patently clear what's going on right now, and it's frankly, it's sad. Athletes have come out and speaking about this. Uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar has been very vocal about it in terms of racial issues throughout our country forever. Uh, LeBron James has been very vocal about it uh, as it relates to all these things that have been going on. And now Michael Jordan, who for n- never in his entire career has ever got involved in anything uh, in a political nature. This is a guy who once was hesitant to speak out about social issues. Um, famously quipping one time that Republicans buy shoes too, you know, uh, which by the way, to Jordan's account was, uh, was intended as a joke. Only it fell on deaf ears. And so now Michael Jordan is coming out and speaking. And basically he's saying, I'm deeply saddened, I'm truly pained, plus I'm plain angry. I see and feel uh, everyone's pain, everyone's uh, outrage, everyone's frustration. Um, It's just, it's a situation now where, and you can criticize, if you want to criticize Michael Jordan, have at it. I mean, he seems to be the flavor of the month uh, from... Uh, the uh, the documentary about the last dance and so on where he was painted as a villain uh, in a number of fronts uh, now look I'm a Michael Jordan fan I'm a LeBron James fan I'm a Kareem Abdul-Jabbar fan uh, Jabbar is from my hometown of Brooklyn New York so I always root for him LeBron James uh, with what he does not only on the court but off the court with his charitable endeavors uh, I see that as as something that's that's uh, Honor, very honorable to say the least. And when it comes to Jordan, I've always admired his abilities, certainly on the court. I, there's no getting around that. He's, if you want to call him the greatest of all time, fine. If you want to say he's the greatest of his time, that I've always said, that's the way I run. LeBron James, the best of his time. And right now we're in a situation where we're still waiting to find out exactly how the pro sports leagues 
uh, and college athletics is going to come back from this. Uh, we don't know what all of this is about, but you know, we're, we're in a situation where we're trying to figure all of this out. Uh, it, it's very troubling to me, but you know, here we are. Uh, I read where Major League Baseball is trying to figure it out. Uh, they're going to play 110 games. They're going to play 100 games. They're going to play 85 games. We really don't know. Uh, when it comes to professional basketball, uh, we're going to start in July. Are we going to go right into the playoffs? Is there going to be um, a handful of teams in each conference in a playoff format? That remains to be seen. What I would like to see, and I make no bones about it, I would like to see the current eight teams in each conference put together and then reseed them based on their record. And so you'll find certainly that um, that the Milwaukee Bucks would be the number one seed because they have the best record in basketball. And the number two seed would be the Lakers. Number three seed would be Toronto. Number four would be the L.A. Clippers. Uh, number five seed would be the Boston Celtics. Number six, the Denver Nuggets. Number seven, the Utah Jazz. Number eight would be the Miami Heat. Number nine would be the Oklahoma City Thunder. Ten would be Houston. Indiana would be 11, Philadelphia would be 12, Dallas would be 13, Memphis would be 14, Brooklyn would be 15, and Orlando would be 16. So if they did this in a reseed situation, I'm not sure they're going to do this. I like the idea myself. Milwaukee would play Orlando, 1 versus 16. The Lakers would play Brooklyn, 2 versus 15. Miami would play Oklahoma City, 8 versus 9. Utah would play Houston, 7 versus 10. Boston, Philadelphia, 5 versus 12. Denver, Indiana, 6 versus 11. The Clippers, 4 versus 13. Dallas, Toronto, 3. Memphis, 14. And they would wind up playing each other. Uh, I, I think the two series that would be the, the more, well, I'll give you more than two. Miami, Oklahoma City would be very intriguing. 8 versus 9. Utah, Houston, very intriguing, 7 versus 10. Boston, Philadelphia, primarily because of who these franchises have been uh, it, it, throughout NBA history. Number 5 through 12, uh, I think would be a very interesting series. Uh, the, the series that I don't think would go very far would be Toronto against Memphis, 3 versus 14. I don't think Milwaukee and Orlando really would be uh, much of a series. Uh, Orlando would be fortunate to get into the postseason. Milwaukee has the best record. Uh, Lakers, Brooklyn, a little bit more intriguing because we don't really know if Kevin Durant's going to play. Uh, I would assume, then again, I can't assume anything, but I'm going to take a stab at it. I'm going to assume that Kevin Durant's not going to play. If he does, Kyrie Irving, is he going to play? If Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant play, and at what percentage of health would they be? People have seen Kevin Durant working out. We have come to the understanding that right now he looks like he's ready to play basketball. But being on the court and taking jump shots and taking passes from other people and getting up shots uh, is not going to be the thing that puts him over the top. His ability to... Know, his ability to... Um, Playing competition, physical competition, 
where bodies are getting tossed around and so on, is he going to be able to handle that? I don't know. But we'll kind of figure this out little by little by little by little. Uh, in, in the NFL, it's pretty clear what's going on right now. We're going to have a season starting September the 10th with a Thursday night game. It's going to be Houston at Kansas City. They met each other in the postseason last year, and Houston found a way to blow a 24 to nothing lead and lose to Kansas City. And then, of course, the Chiefs went on and won the Super Bowl, and Houston was left answering a lot of questions. Since then, DeAndre Hopkins is traded from Houston to Arizona for David Johnson, a running back. A lot of people have questions, including yours truly. Why would you trade a top three receiver in the NFL for a running back in a league that features its wide receivers a lot more than it does its running backs? So a lot of questions need to be answered. A lot of questions are going to be asked. But I think when it comes right down to the bottom line, the bottom line says we're going to get what we want, pro sports, live. And I think we'll look past a lot of the other stuff. What does this do to people in the stands? Will there be people in the stands? I don't know. Uh, the NFL is suggesting a couple of things could happen. You might see them uh, socially distanced. Um, can that work? And so the family of four, which has been quarantined in their home for all this time, uh, they can go to the game and sit next to each other. That's not an issue. Uh, but what about people you don't know sitting six, eight feet apart? How many people can you basically put in a football stadium? If you have, for argument's sake, a 70,000-seat stadium, you might be looking at 25,000 people in the ballpark. Can the NFL live with that? In baseball, if you have a 60,000-seat stadium, you might be looking at 18 to 20,000 people in the ballpark. Could you survive with that? Is it terribly necessary? It would add a lot to the game, sure. But in reality, what's the priority here? The priority is to get things back to close to normal. And if it means putting on the product, so be it. Let's put on the product. We'll deal with the other issues as we move along. Plain and simple. Do I think any of this, I mean, we're trying to make sense out of something we have no experience in making sense out of. Um, I look at it this way. I see opportunities uh, for us to kind of, you know, get somewhat of a normalcy back uh, to this whole thing. And it is really tough to do. It's really, really tough to do. But we're going to try to make the best of it some way, shape, or form. And in the meantime, we'll put a phone call into our first guest and get things rolling. And our first guest is Dave Johnson, and now joins me. Dave, it's Howard David. You're on Howard David Live. How are you today? I'm doing well. You know, I mean, uh, <laughs> I think uh, these are interesting times, to, to say the least. But all we can do is try to keep a positive attitude and keep moving forward. And, and uh, so, yeah, I say I'm doing well. You know, I agree. Um, you know, we're all faced with something we have no experience in facing. And then you throw on top of that the last four or five days where there have been protests all over the country. And it, it, you just wonder, and I go back far enough to the turbulent 60s when I went into the military, and I thought it was rough then, um, but this, is, this seems like a whole new ball game. And now it found interesting, and he once upon a time played for your organization, although very short-lived, 
That's Michael Jordan who comes out today, and he's never been one to address social issues before. He says he's deeply saddened. He's a bit angry, too. Were you surprised to hear that Jordan had an opinion on this? You know, I, I think at this point, uh, with, with so many things, you know, uh, obviously dealing with the pandemic, um, you know, dealing with the, the situation with George Floyd, if that's even the proper way to describe it, uh, you know, within the last week, um, I, I think uh, we're, we're in a time where we're all looking for some kind of response and interaction um, from each other because in, in so many ways we've, we've been isolated. So, uh, you know, I think uh, we yearn to hear what other people think uh, and, and what their reaction is because in many cases we're, we're you know, cut off uh, unless we're in a situation where we're, we're in an area where it's reopened more and that type of thing. But as I speak to you from, you know, the Washington, D.C. area, it's, it's, it's not as open as some other areas of the country. So, you know, you, you, you're, you basically yearn for a response on a number of things from, from a number of people. And, and certainly, um, you know, Michael Jordan's response is certainly similar to responses you've heard from um, so many people as they just try to, to wrap their heads around what's been going on. Well, the, the, the Wizards have had difficulty, obviously, and the injuries have reared their ugly head, particularly when it comes to John Wall. Uh, I believe he hasn't played a game since, what, December of 18? Yeah, he's been out a while. And, and you know, it's it really, the bottom line is when, when the Wizards get him back and, and they view it like, you know, it's almost like drafting a five-time All-Star there, yeah, it, he'll be coming back healthy for the first time, fully healthy, since the 2000. Uh, 16-17 season, and that was not coincidentally when, you know, the Wizards were, were flying high and, 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 you know, a game away from going to the Eastern Conference Finals, and that tremendous series with the, with the Boston Celtics where John Wall hit a, uh, a three-pointer to uh, to force a game seven in that uh, series. So I, I think, you know, what what's encouraging is that, you know, finally, instead of, okay, he's going to play a little bit, he's he's got this naggy injury, he's going to play through... He, he just was shut down, and uh, this has allowed him his body to heal, and uh, and he understands that there'll be there are doubters out there about uh, you know how he will be when he returns next season, uh, but that just serves as motivation. You know the situation with all great athletes. All you have to do is tell uh, whether it's a Michael Jordan, a John Wall, or, or name the great athlete that Talking with Dave Johnson, he's the voice of the Washington Wizards. Uh, I've always felt that Bradley Beal was the best superstar no one's heard of. And I don't know why he doesn't get the publicity he's earned. I mean, the man averages 25 points a game. He's, he, he's, a, a, he's a leader on the, in the, we know with John Wall not there, he's really taken over the leadership role and done a great job. And yet he doesn't get the publicity. Why is that?
dependent on what your team's record were. If that's the case, then it's it's an easier deal to pick the All Star team because you eliminate you know half the league that doesn't have winning records. So I, I really am at a loss for it. And there's <laughs> the other thing that that you know he was okay. He's not picked as a starter. I get that. You know, if you're on a winning team and things are flying high and you're getting lots of national attention, you know, you're going to get voted in. What, what surprised me as it was you know selected. In, for the reserve, that he was not selected for the reserves because uh, the, the same coaches that were designing plays to double and triple teaming him every night didn't vote him in the All-Star game. So then why are you double and triple teaming him? He's not that big a deal. And that and that's the thing that people have to keep the frame of reference is that there was no John Wall. There was no John Wall this season. And yet Bradley Beal averaged 30.5 points per game. Who do you think is A, B, and C in the opponent's scouting report? It's Bradley Beal. And so he was getting those points, not because he was selfish. His assist numbers were at a career high. You look at the Wizards' offensive efficiency. It was a great offensive team. Defense, that's a different story, and that's why their record you know, has them on the outside looking into the playoff picture. But the fact that under pressure, uh, he continued to go from what he did as a rookie when he just comes in the league as a, as a you think of this guy as a spot-up shooter, to a complete player now, he deserves the recognition. You know what, Dave? <laughs> You're preaching to the choir. Uh, I've uh, things don't make sense in, in, in my, on many levels, uh, and that's that's obviously one of them. You, you look at certain players around the league whose teams do not have good records. Uh, Bradley Beal, obviously. Trey Young in Atlanta. I mean, this kid has taken the, the league by storm with his depth. I mean, he fires him up as soon as he crosses midcourt, and, and he's successful. Um, Look, we're dealing in a situation now where the NBA is having a lot of conversations about the format that they want to use going forward. I've heard a few. You've heard a few. The one that I really am intrigued with, and unfortunately for your team, it doesn't involve them, is taking the eight teams in each conference and then reseeding them and having them play one play 16 and so on and so on. I think that would be very intriguing. Yeah, I think given the circumstances, uh, you know, that, that uh, look, teams are just getting back to their practice facilities. It's it's going to be, a you know, an environment like we've, we've never uh, seen before. So, uh, you know, right away, it's, it's kind of, um, you really don't know what to expect. And then you add that, you know, variable to it, uh, you know, it could really spice things up and, and, and make it interesting. And, and you're right, we as we sit here and talk, we don't know. You know what the formats it's going to be if it if it you know goes straight to the playoffs or, or, or not and and uh, um, some of that you know as always this is a, <laughs> we just go day by day the the old cliche suddenly we're living it but um, that would that would make it you know certainly interesting I think uh, yeah you I think about the way this season has gone and I think you know uh, and I we we dealt with the Milwaukee Bucks a lot this season because they're in our conference and. You know, I, I really believe that they were on their way to, to, you know, to grabbing an NBA title. You know, how are all these teams going to be when they return? And, and uh, you know, one thing that's always made the hockey playoffs so interesting is, is that, you know, a hockey a goaltender gets hot and, and it changes the whole dynamic. And, and whereas, you know, quite frankly, in the NBA playoffs, sometimes it gets a little bit more predictable. Certain teams with certain stars eventually went out. But I, I think, you know, you change the format. Uh, there's been time off for all teams. 
I, I think it, it will make for a very interesting summer if the NBA is able to, to resume play because I don't think it will be as predictable as, as uh, you know, often NBA can be. Well, within the confines of your organization, there's also a format where there would be some teams that would pl- have the ability to play in. Now, the Wizards are on the outside looking in. They're in ninth in the East. They're, um, I believe, four games in the loss column behind Orlando, or five games in the loss column behind Orlando for the eighth spot. So there is a scenario, if they have this playoff, uh, play-in format, where Washington would be involved. Yeah, and I think, you know, and again, they would fall under the same thing. How are the, you know, Wizards? I mean, they've been doing everything the other teams have been doing, trying to, you know, engage their players, and, and I've been talking to the players over the last few weeks, and they've been going through, every team's been doing the Zoom workouts and this and that, but, uh, you know, it, the proof now will be as they start to return to, to some form of, you know, team training, which will be a gradual uh, ramp up. Uh, in the case of the Wizards, they just started individual workouts at their at their training facility, but uh, what, what would give the Wizards hope for maybe, you know, surprising if, if that format does come out is the fact that this team really was was now starting to, to hit stride defensively. Uh, it was a better defensive team over the, the, the month before the NBA pause. Uh, and it was just a better, because of that, it was just a better team, period. So uh, I think they were in a good spot as a team. Now, can they recapture what they had back on March 12th and translate that into the summer? You know that could, they could be a team that, that could surprise somebody. Uh, there's no question they're a bet, they were a better team in March than they were in November. As they were trying to, to figure it out with so many new players, and they, and they were also, as you mentioned, at the start of a conversation, you know, so many injuries to deal with. Uh, I mean, all you need to know about the Wizards' season, the fact that this close to a playoff spot, is that a guy named Garrison Matthews scored 28 points in a victory over the Miami Heat. And I bring that up not as a credit to Garrison Matthews, but nobody has probably heard of Garrison Matthews, but that's how deep the Wizards were going to their G League team, the Capital City Go-Go at times, to get players because of all the injuries. And despite all that, we're we're still having a conversation that if there is some kind of play-in type of situation, you know, the Wizards at least have a glimmer of hope. When you speak with with Scott Brooks, and I've known Scott a long time and I have a lot of respect for him, first as a player and then as a coach. And we happened to be on an NBA cruise together, and so I spent a fair amount of time with him and a whole bunch of other NBA players. Uh, The frustration. Look, when I first started in the NBA with the New Jersey Nets, they won in a resounding 17 games my first year. But I didn't care. I had an NBA broadcasting job. That's all I cared about. Things will get better. And next year they did. They won 19 games. So, you know, the frustration can, can hit a coaching staff. The object is, if you're a coaching staff, is don't let the players know that you're frustrated. Yeah, and I, you know, the, the thing that I find remarkable about him, first of all, you know, obviously he's just a, a first-class person to, to deal with, and he's somebody uh, that, that truly appreciates, uh, you know, his his entire NBA journey. And you know, when we've dealt with with you know, obviously, you lose a John Wall to an injury, and you find out, okay, you know, he's going to be shut down, and uh, you can immediately start to put your head down. And I can still think of before the pregame show uh, one of those situations where you know Scott Brooks was like, "Look, nobody, nobody died. This is something we'll get through. We'll make it through." And and uh, you know, it wasn't just cliche for him to to say that. And I think that is an example of 
you know, here's a guy who wasn't probably supposed to be in the NBA, found his way in the NBA, had great success in the NBA, paid his dues to get to where he is in coaching. I mean, he was coaching a, a team in a revamped ABA that, you know, where the paychecks bounced as high as the basketballs, <laughs> and then he's an assistant in the NBA. So he's a guy that, that you know, we all can say we appreciate the situation we're in, but my goodness, he lives it every day and I think that's part of what makes him a, a great coach because yeah it's frustrating you go from uh, one game away from the Eastern Conference final in, in 2017 to 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 now try to to navigate back to where you thought you were before but you know what that's what he did in his career is always trying to, to find a way to 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 move ahead and it wasn't easy for him as a player and and so, therefore, he can deal with it as a coach. That's not to say he's not human. That's not to say, as he says, he, you know, there's nights he doesn't sleep. But there's a guy that is grateful every day he shows up in the arena and, and, and truly loves his passion and truly appreciates, uh, as, he, as he said all throughout this, I mean, how lucky are, are, are we that the, uh, the best job is playing in the NBA. He says the second best job is coaching. And the third best job is, is talking about it. Sometimes maybe you reverse the order on number two and number three. But, but, but the bottom line is, is you know, he is more of an exception than a rule. Often, you know, coaches can, can take it too much to heart. And that's, I'm not criticizing coaches for doing that because they're judged by wins and losses. But he has kept everything always in perspective. Uh, and I think especially now as he's dealing with a young Wizards team because John Wall has been sidelined. Uh, being able to keep that perspective has helped. You know the guys like Mo Wagner or Isaac Bonger, names that many have not heard of but might soon hear of because their play continues to improve. He's helped their improvement by by keeping things in perspective when things are difficult. Yeah, and, and look, we're talking with Dave Johnson. He's the radio voice of the Washington Wizards. It, it's all everything comes in cycles. When I first came into the league, the Nets were bad. Now here they are, uh, far more competitive. Actually, uh, they, uh, they, they played for a championship uh, a few years back. So the Milwaukee Bucks, um, maybe it was me. I thought about it, Dave, because I was with the Bucks. They weren't very good there either. But now look at them. Uh, look at the Clippers, you know, an elite team. And you remember that the L.A. Clippers once upon a time were, were like uh, the, the punchline around the NBA. So it, it does come in cycles. When you look at the Bucks. And, and onto the compo, they have probably the MVP of the league. But do they have clear sailing to the Eastern title? Uh, are the Raptors that much of a formidable challenge? The Celtics, I wouldn't overlook the Heat because they've been the surprise team in the East this year. And what about the 76ers? So I don't think it's a given that Milwaukee will come out of the East, but it's a very, it's a very good chance they will. Yeah, I don't think it's, it's a given, as we just talked about it. You know, this is not a, a normal playoff circumstance, whatever that circumstance you know turns out to, to be later this summer. So I, I, I don't think it's it's a given. But I, you know, I just I, I, knowing from the games that, that you know dealing with them that that um, they can just hurt you in so many ways, and they have so much uh, you know scoring power, and it just it's uh, as you know. Dealing in the NBA, you, you can have, you know, losses just because, you know, the schedule didn't favor you. And yet, you know, they still managed to put together a 53-12 and 12 record or whatever it was. And uh, when you're 
when you're at that level, uh, you're at a different level, in, in my opinion, uh, because um, it, it really has to be an off night to beat them, uh, and and they've they've proven that. But as I said, I think the real thing that that concerns me, or, or you know, if, if the NBA is able to resume, if I'm the Bucks or any team, is you, I just you just don't know how your team is going to react. Um, in, in the circumstances they're going to have to play in. And it, it could be an X factor. Maybe not. Maybe, you know, look, talent, talent is talent, and talent will always win out. Some people believe it. Maybe that'll be the case. But, you know, I just know also in talking to leagues around the world where they have resumed play, you know, i.e. The, the, the German soccer league and that sort of thing, it is a real, real concern for coaches as now suddenly the players are going out there in a, in a different environment. You know, I look at, at, at the Toronto Raptors uh, and the Miami Heat, just as an example. Raptors win the championship last year. Uh, they lose Kawhi Leonard. He leaves and goes to the Clippers. And yet here they are with a 46-18 and 18 record at this juncture and the second-best team in the East. Are you more surprised with what they've been able to do or more surprised with where Miami is fourth in the East? Well, you know, that's a, that's a tough question. Uh, but I've always, you know, Kawhi's a, a, a league player, but I, you know, always knew that, that Toronto was more than just him. I, I didn't, I don't know if I thought that they could, you know, survive his absence to the, to the degree they did. But, you know, I've always believed that, that part of what, you know, Toronto um, uh, made him tick was, you know, yeah, you, you have a Kawhi, but then you have a, a Siakam or, you know, a, when a, when Fred Van Vliet is, is playing and the toughness he brings and, uh, you know, that makes a difference. So they had other players that, that would, would step up and, um, you know, also make a difference. You know, I think Miami's, you know, story is, is uh, you know, yeah, you have Jimmy Butler, but, you know, you've got a young team there and, um, you know, full credit to Eric Spolstra how he's, he's put that team together and, and got them to, you know, if I can use a, a $10 word, coalesce in a, in a quick fashion. And, and I, you know, if you had, if, you, if the exact question was, you know, who surprised you more, the Raptors or the Heat, I'd have to say the Heat. You know, then I look at a team like Philadelphia. <clears throat> we we kind of knew that when Joe Joel Embiid is right, he's a dominant basketball player. He's a very difficult uh, defensive problem for you. He can get his shot just about any single time. The only thing that's of concern to me is you just wonder if he brings it every night. And uh, it, because I think if he brought it every night, I think he'd be unstoppable. But the question is, why? 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 And look at Ben Simmons. Now, Ben Simmons has demonstrated when Embiid's gone out with an injury or whatever, and Simmons has carried the team. But he's got his shortcomings also his, in terms of his shooting range, etc. I think that the, the, the 76 is one of those teams that goes under the heading of this is one team you don't want to play in the playoffs because they can find a way to beat you. Yeah, because they're, they're a team that should have a much better record uh, than they do. And, and you know, they're a team that has the talent capable of to, to getting up to that you know the the Bucks class that we were just talking about. Yet they're they're kind of in the, the middle of the uh, the pack of the the Eastern Conference you know playoff team. So um, you know Brett Brown is a, is a tremendous coach, and he and he comes from that um, 
that, that San Antonio Spurs, uh, Greg Popovich coaching tree and the experience he, he gained there. And, and, you know, again, we were just talking about Scott Brooks and, and, you know, your ability to deal with frustration and ups and downs. I mean, you know, going through the quote-unquote process was, was not easy. And I talked to him many times. We would we obviously played the Sixers, you know, four times a year. Um, you know, he did a wonderful job, and that's why I was so glad to see that, you know, you're, you're worried for a coach like Brett Brown that he wouldn't get a chance to see the, the – you know the fruits of his labor that that you know he would end up getting fired, and then somebody would come in, and and then they would get, get the advantage of all the development work he did. Um, but look, where where we stand right now in, in the summer of 2020, you know, there's always that window of opportunity for every team, and uh, you know they're certainly with that window of opportunity that's open, and they start have to they they need to start taking advantage and, and being more consistent and, and seizing that, uh, and. And for all those reasons, no, you don't. If, you know, you don't want to face them in a, in a postseason uh, setting because uh, you know, sixth or seventh seed or wherever they are right now, they're they're much better than that. Oh, I would completely agree. Uh, you, you go to the West, and you know, I was a math major, so I know that two beats one all the time. If the Lakers wind up playing the Bucks in the NBA Finals. Well, the Lakers have two superstars, which is which presents a number of problems defensively for anybody that faces them with with LeBron and Anthony Davis, and the Clippers have two superstars in Kawhi and Paul George. How and, and I know Milwaukee is a very very good defensive basketball team, but how would Milwaukee be able to stay with a with the Lakers at one one team at a time with the Lakers first? How do they present enough of a problem? To keep the Lakers off the scoreboard because they got a number of people that can hurt you. Yeah, no, well, uh, it, it would be a, a huge challenge. It's, it's hard to bet um, against uh, you know a player like uh, LeBron. Again, we've said you know over and over. And uh, I mean, I think about you know <laughs> my first experiences on a, on a regular basis with with LeBron James, and it was when he was much younger and. and we had some classic playoff series with the uh, uh, the Wizards. I say classic, uh, but but they would always win uh, in, in the end. But but they would go seven games, and they would, you know, I think about it. It was two thousand six, two thousand seven. Um, you know, three of the four games that the Cavaliers won were decided on the last possession, and, and I still remember Antonio Daniels saying that you know you can go through a whole season and not have you know games like that, and here they had one. In, one playoff series, but you know, it, LeBron James is, is just a flat-out winner. He can do everything. He's got every physical attribute. It's not you know basketball still a, a, a team sport, but because of what he can do, and you know, he seemingly can score whenever he wants to, um, and, and that can get you out of a lot of jams. Um, you know, it, it's it's that's why a Lakers Bucks magic uh, matchup would be intriguing because um, yeah, yeah the Bucks are having a, a tremendous year and they have a, a, a you know a, a star on the uh, the rise now that we know how to say his name after all these years. Right. Um, but but uh, I still remember you know I laughed because I remember the first time the Wizards played the Bucks. Yeah, so Dedekumbo came in as a substitute and, I, and it was not during a commercial break. So. You know, I had to say his name on the fly, which was which is no fun. Now you, you can't help but remember how to say his name. Um, you know, it, it'd be a it'd be a heck of a series. 
because it would go, if it was a seven-game format, I think it would go seven games. I think they are that, you know, tightly matched. Um, but I, I do think the Bucks, given what I've seen this season, that's the other thing, as you know from the NBA, I see the Eastern Conference team more than the West. You know, I, I still would favor the Bucks in this situation. Do you have a tape of the first time you pronounced Giannis's name? Yeah, probably somewhere. I don't know if I've erased it yet. <laughs> I, I just remember it was, it was uh, I, I can still remember our good friend Ted Davis. I was talking to him before that game and, and uh, play-by-play announcer for the Bucks. And yep. it, it really is an amazing story how, uh, I, you know, I don't think anybody knew at the time, uh, well, nobody knew at that time that this is what he would become. Uh, you just didn't didn't see that. I, you know, I think people forget, um, and, and I'm not saying it's the same exact same situation. But I, you know, I've been around the league long enough. I remember when when Dirk Nowitzki. You know, we didn't know what he was going to be all about. He was coming off the bench. So, um, you know, it's turned out to be a neat story of somebody that you know you didn't. It, it wasn't this uh, prodigy that, that came from the school you knew. Uh, it was a name you couldn't even say, and now uh, that's all you are saying. I, um, I, I, anytime you walk into a bar with a bunch of your friends and you have the, and the beer starts to flow and you have the usual arguments, oh, this guy's better than this guy and this guy's better than this guy. And then you come in with the Michael Jordan versus LeBron James argument. And my answer has always been Michael was the best of his time and LeBron is the best of his time. And I didn't, I don't dodge the argument. I just think the rules were different. The play was different. Could Michael play today? Of course. Could LeBron have played back then? Certainly. Uh, great players can, 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 can play in any era. It doesn't make any difference. But when you ask, we have this argument all the time. It's, it's a little bit more fun to pick the, uh, you're the coach of a team. You get the chance to pick your starting five and you can use any player from any era. Who's the first pick would, that would come out? For, for me, it was always Magic Johnson. Because, wow. you know, Magic would always be... I mean, can anybody set the table better than him? Yeah. Well, no, that's a good point. And that's, you know, and that's the, the beauty of... Uh, and, and there, you know, there, I often tell people there's, there's players... When, when you start those lists, uh, you know, the top ten or, or the number one, you always... You'll pick one and you'll think, well, I should have picked, you know, X. And there's players... Uh, I mean, I don't remember seeing... Uh, it was before my time at Oscar Robertson, but... Um, you look at his numbers, and you know he was triple doubles before we knew how to hyphenate triple doubles. So, um, but I, I think Magic Johnson, you know, it, you know, he was <laughs> he was positionless basketball before there was. Now we live in an era of positionless basketball where if you're seven feet tall, you're supposed to hit threes and, and be able to handle the ball. But that, as you know, when when Magic Johnson came along. You know, we had never seen a, a six-eight guy that could handle the ball and do the things that he could do. And um, yeah, it'd be you'd be hard pressed to find somebody better than, than a Magic Johnson to to uh, to set the table. So that that's a good pick right there because you know what, what's the old cliches that throw out in basketball: the head of the snake and this and that. I mean, uh, we can talk about centers and other positions over history, but. Yeah, it all still starts with a ball in the point guard's hands. Yeah, I, I remember. I'm old enough to remember uh, when I was a little guy, and Oscar Robertson was a star in the NBA, and he he wins a championship with Milwaukee with Kareem. Well, then I believe he was Lou Alcindor, but Oscar Robertson was. It, it was like you knew who he was, 
But the Celtics were so good, and the Bucks were good then with him and 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 Lou Alcindor, aka Kareem. You didn't you didn't get caught up in all those. We used to have a little game in school where each of us would pick ten players, and yeah, we were gambling a little bit. We were playing for a penny a point. So if you if you really did great, you won like three dollars. <laughs> so we would pick players, and invariably the first player chosen was Will Chamberlain because you knew he was going to get. 40, 50 points every night. Yeah, yeah well, I mean, and, and you, you know, obviously, Will Chamberlain, uh, I think about, you know, uh, Russ Unsell was such a cornerstone of our franchise for so long, and, and he talks about, uh, you know, people forget what it would forget, obviously, Will's size, etc. But as you know, Will Chamberlain was just a, a great athlete. I mean, he was a, a track star at, at, at Kansas as West, you know, and Wes always tells the story about he gets to an all-star game and, and he's all excited and his mother's there, but his mother doesn't care that Wes is at the all-star game. His mother's just excited because she gets to meet Will Chamberlain. So he was, you know, he was just uh, such a player. I remember as a kid um, being frustrated uh, watching Will Chamberlain because I thought it was unfair that, that he could do so much and he was so big and, and you know, the Bullets, as I was a fan of the Bullets, would, would never win, which, which by the way, they, it was the Bullets uh, franchise that lost to the Bucks uh, in that championship, the thing that you referenced. But um, yeah, but that's what makes the, the league great. We can have these debates. We can have these, these conversations. And, um, uh, it, you know, the Michael Jordan documentary certainly is brought up again. Um, uh, you can't argue with six championships and, and with sure. different teams and different players. Um, and it just, you know, yes, you can repeat. And there's you look at the history of the NBA and the Golden State Warriors. But six, six is a lot. And that's, you know, that's pushing you into the, you know, the, the Celtics territory when they were such a, a dominant team. So, um, you know, all these great players can play in, in whatever era because uh, what makes them great is, is they know how to figure out, given the circumstances and with the team, how to win. I think people need to remember there's some there's billions of people on the planet, but the NBA has 450 of the best basketball players in the world. Everybody that's in the NBA is good. Everybody is athletic. So what separates them? Mm. What makes them at that that level where they're LeBron or they're winning titles? It's, it's more than just uh, you know, God-given ability. Yeah, it's it's a part of it, but but it's only a part of it. Yeah, look, I uh, uh, we don't promote rivalries as much as we used to, but uh, you you brought up when the Wizards were the Bullets, and I grew up in New York and was a Knicks fan at the time, and the Knicks Bullets rivalry was, I mean, it was nasty. But I mean, you, you mentioned Wesley Unseld, and they had a, they had a guy named Gus Johnson that was he and DeBusher used to go at each other like all game long to the point of where you, you wonder which guy was going to come out. Uh, bleeding and and a lot of times it was both and then you had Earl Monroe who played with Washington and goes to the Knicks what, that, isn't that like heresy? Yeah, no, that was and, and of course we we set, you know, brought Earl back and retired his his, his number with, with the franchise and and uh, yeah so that during that period of time you know and, and our good friend Phil Chenier always you know tells the stories about you know how that stoked and and, and added to the uh, the rivalry of that period, and that was, you know, uh, the Bullets, 
of that period of time with West Central and Alvin Hayes, you know, we're, we're such a dominant competitive team, but the Knicks were right there, and it just added to the, uh, um, you know, <laughs> fuel to the fire that, that Earl Monroe goes from the Bullets to to uh, the Knicks. And, and, uh, and, of course, you know, there is, uh, as you know, being around the country, there's, there's an inherent jealousy that other cities or teams have in New York. There's, you know, that's, that's the big city, and, and we're just – we're just Baltimore, we're just whatever. Um, and, and you know, I think about, you can you take any sport you want, but, you know, I think about Orioles versus Yankees sure. for years in the 70s. It was, it was the same thing. And, and part of what fueled that from a, a standpoint was, you know, Baltimore was a smaller town, and, and we're going to show those big city folks from New York that we can we can do it too. And so, you know, that's what, that's what make, also makes, you know, part of rivalries fun because they, they take on the psyche of whatever city they, they're from. Yeah, but nothing was, is more uh, uh, an explanation of that than the Baltimore Colts and the Jets in Super Bowl three, <laughs> And that, that for I remember doing some college football bowl games with the late Johnny Unitas, uh, who, for my money, was the best quarterback of his time. Uh, but more than that, I mean, Johnny was an icon in so many ways. He was a great football player, but... He was larger than life, and so the first time I got to work with him was at the Florida Citrus Bowl in Orlando, and it was Maryland and, um, I'm trying to remember, it was Maryland and Florida. Maryland had a quarterback named Boomer Esiason, and Florida had a wide receiver named Chris Collinsworth. Well, Boomer didn't get to play in the game. He was injured, so Frank Reich came in and took his place, and he's remembered for authoring the two greatest comebacks in football history, one in the NFL, one in college football. But when I'm working the game with Johnny, before uh, we had dinner the night before the game, and I made the mistake of bringing up Super Bowl three to him, oh. he got angry, not at me, angry at that game because he went to Shula, who was coaching Baltimore, and yeah. said to him, Coach, put me in. Well, if you remember, he was injured for much of that season, and Earl Morrill led the Colts to where they got to. And he deserved the opportunity. And Shula told Johnny, this, you know, I'm going to start early. He's been here all year. He deserves it. And by halftime, it's 10 nothing Jets. Johnny goes to Shula and says, Coach, put me in. We can win this game. And he didn't listen to him. Finally put him in early fourth quarter. It was 16 nothing. Unitas gets him right down the field. Boom, 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 boom. It's 16-7 to before you could blink. And that's what, that would be the final score. So I said, so what is what is your anger towards the Jets? He goes, nah, I'm more angry at Coach Shuley. He should have put me in. We would have beat them. I said, Johnny, they were ahead 16 nothing going to the fourth quarter. I don't care. And he got he got so angry. But Well, okay. yeah, and, and, you know, one of my first jobs in this business, I was producing United's football show. It was a weekly Monday night talk show from his uh, uh, restaurant in Baltimore. It was called United's Golden Arm. And uh, one of the most... Wonderful people I've ever dealt with in, in my entire life. He was just a, a first-class person, but there were, I could still, to this day, you know, as he could command the room with those mangled hands. Right. He played in a day when, when you know, there was no protecting the quarterback, and, and the fact that he got out of that period of time, uh, you know, still able to walk is, is amazing, as you know, because he took a, a pounding, but I can still see those those mangled hands of his and 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 the way he had this look about him it it was a it was a certain vision that you could picture that's the same vision he he used on on the on the field and, and it was a um 
there was a there was a certain intelligence there that that was understated because he he didn't come off that way. He was very approachable, and uh, but you know you just described his comeback in the uh, the Super Bowl is boom 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 down the field. Well, he was that's that's the way the NFL is played now. Boom 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 down the field. But back in his day, he was the only one sending teams down the field. Boom boom boom. I mean, he was clearly. Uh, ahead of his time, and again, we talk about you know could players play in different eras. There's no question to me, from what I know from stories and tape, and uh, that that Johnny Unitas uh, is a player that, that would God only knows what kind of numbers he would have put up in today's NFL. Yeah, he's uh, he was special. I mean, I I felt fortunate. I worked three bowl games with him, and I enjoyed myself immensely. And when he passed away. It, really bothered me and I only I didn't I didn't know him very long I only knew him a couple of years but it, it really bothered me because I, I realized that greatness had crossed my path uh, not only as a football player but the way he treated people we I mean, we were at the dinner in this restaurant no less than 30 people came up to him asking for an autograph and he signed every single one and didn't say no to anybody and that told me that that was let's face it a guy as recognizable as he with a crew cut and all of that uh, and yet he didn't. He didn't say, you know, hey, I'm kind of busy. He signed every single autograph, and it told me a lot about the person. Let he, was me, a, he was a gentleman, and yep. that's not to say he. Look, he didn't suffer fools gladly. I mean, you, you know, if you if you dealt with him, you you needed to, to deal with him straight. But but that's the way he dealt with you, and and uh, um, it, it just you know he's a, he's another player that you hope that. Uh, they continue to bring up when we go another 10 years and we look back at, at, at NFL history, um, it, what he brought to the game, and especially that period of the game, you know, really did, uh, I believe, uh, you know, help the foundation of the NFL that's, that's allowed it to have the success that it continues to have. Let me ask you one thing before I let you go. Uh, you mentioned The Last Dance, the Jordan biography that, that was on uh, 10 episodes. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm sure you did as well. Because we're starving for something to watch. That's that's not something we've seen before. But I felt myself uh, understanding that there was another side to Michael Jordan that I did not understand. And I've had the, the pleasure of interviewing him maybe four or five times in my career. And uh, and he was he was always very easy to deal with because he he, he didn't he didn't big time you. He was Michael Jordan, the greatest of his time, and yet he sat there patiently and, and took all the questions. But I have to believe that people's identification with Michael Jordan has changed from The Last Dance. And then today I read uh, Michael's coming out very angry and disappointed and so on and upset about what's going on around the country now. Because as you know, Michael Jordan never got involved in anything that was political or any social discussion. He kind of stayed away from that. But today he came out uh, opposite of the way he's always been.
was selective about his his causes. Well, I'll, I'll speak out on this because it's not controversial, but I'm not I'm not going to speak out on. He just was not that that just was not him. He was not you know a, a guy that you know would be put it as much as his play called attention to himself. He would not be bringing attention to himself, whether it was on the basketball court or in a, in a conversation. So that just wasn't um, his personality. It, it doesn't mean, I don't think, that, that you know this is the first time that because we, we get a statement uh, that it's the first time that he was angry about something or or whatever. For whatever reason, he felt, uh, felt compelled to, to make a comment now, and I think a lot of people... Are, are feeling that way, and they are. But I think what, what you know, just in my dealings with with Michael Jordan when he was with the Wizards, it, it just it's just what you said is he was a genuine person. And if you were fair to him, and if you dealt with him in a, in a positive way, uh, he treated you the same way. And you know what? The other thing that it didn't matter that whether you were the his, his teammate or somebody within the organization, um, you know, from my experience, he treated you. If you treated him. Uh, First class, he treated you the same way, and I still think of the before the first game of Madison Square Garden, he's coming back to play, and he knew me obviously from being the, the Wizards radio guy, and he he sees me in a in a, in a pack of, of media, and he and he, uh, he reaches out and, and extends his hand and says, "Good to see you, my friend." Uh, huh. Just a couple of, last season in, in Charlotte, I'm walking to the bus, he sees me at a distance, he comes over to me, wow. just says, "Good to see you." How you do? And it was sincere. It wasn't. I he he did. He walked over to me. I didn't. You know, I wasn't trying to invade his personal space. So I, I guess what I'm saying is that yes, he's as great as he was uh, with all the things he's accomplished in business and, and on the court. But just a genuine person to deal with, and also that means a person with genuine feelings about whatever issue. And again. He's obviously commented on, on just this terrible situation, and and some people are certainly heartened to, to hear his thoughts through a, through a statement. But I, I don't think that he should be criticized, in my opinion, for uh, if he didn't speak out on something else before. I think it's it's something if you're if you're going to make a statement and speak out on something, then uh, and join the dialogue and conversation, uh, then then you need to also feel comfortable in that arena and um you know i think that that's an important thing that as, as we talk about uh, moving forward and, and being better uh, i think it's important also to respect uh, everybody's uh, wishes beliefs and and ability to to do things under certain circumstances yeah i mean see the damned if you do damned if you don't how long have you been the voice of the wizards now uh 1997 wow so i, I gotta got do the math so it's been a while yeah, it's, it's been a while. Well, when I think of Baltimore or Washington, an old friend comes into my mind. He passed away, a guy named Jim Carvelis. Well, uh, um, what a, a sweet, sweet guy, and, and I didn't get to know him well, but, but I, I uh, so my other, you know, big sport that I, that I do is, is Major League Soccer, D.C. United. Well, as you know, Jim Carvelis, and, and I know you did uh, soccer, and, I, and I, I believe me, I've watched, uh, because I've got, and ASL videos like you wouldn't believe. Uh, so I've, I've heard you're you're calling soccer as well. But but uh, the fact that Jim Carvelis was you know uh, the voice of, of my team, the Bullets, and then was also doing another one of my sports, the soccer. As he was you know 
calling goals for Giorgio Canaglio with the Cosmos and their amazing heyday. Um, what an amazing person, and again, uh, um, a broadcaster as well. Well, Jimmy and I were partners doing the Cosmos in 77, 78, um, and then I got an opportunity to do something, and, and he stayed with it. Uh, but uh, we were there when 76,000 people came into Giant Stadium at the time for a playoff game with Fort Lauderdale. And we, I mean, I'm from the New York metropolitan area. I would not have believed it if you told me there was 76,000 people for a soccer game. And everybody thought, oh, they papered the house, you know, that they were giving away tickets. Not so. Everybody who was in the stadium that day paid for those tickets. They, was, they were there, there to see soccer had arrived in New York. And Pele was there. And Kinalia, you mentioned, uh, Franz Beckenbauer and a lot of other international stars. That was like, you know what that was like, Dave? That was like, um, how can I best, it was like, you know, the, um, you, like Studio 54 was a big deal then. And the Cosmos would, uh, a number of the Cosmos would go to Studio 54 after the game. They were like uh, yeah, uh, no. folk heroes. They were like, I mean, they, they, they were like celebrities. No, it, yeah, it definitely, they were, they were amazing. And again, as I said, uh, it just came to my mind the other day, as you said, you were partners with Jim Berg. Carvelis. Folks listening to this can find it on YouTube. I just watched a game with you and Jim Carvelis as the Cosmos played the Caribous of Colorado before less than 76,000 in Denver. But if I, uh, I remember now, I'm thinking about you and Jim were on that broadcast together from Denver. Yeah, it was. Uh, there, were, there were a lot of great times. As a matter of fact, I'm still in touch with Shep Messing, who was the Cosmos goalie. Um, he still lives in the New York metropolitan area. He's still involved with soccer with the Red Bulls of the MISL. Uh, and he's still a character. This, we don't have enough time to go into all the stories, but there, there's a lot of funny stuff. But Pelé, a superstar, he was incredibly accessible to fans. Where What I said before about autographs and signing autographs, and he wouldn't turn anybody down like Michael Jordan or, or anybody. Pelé stood out, kept the team bus waiting for a half an hour after a game that they lost in the playoffs to Tampa Bay, and he signed about 300 autographs and would not turn one kid down. Yeah, no, amazing, amazing person, amazing time. Listen, Howard, I, I so appreciate uh, the time you spent with me. I, this is this is an honor to, to join you today. No, I appreciate you. you appreciate you making the time, Dave. Thanks very much. Continued success with the Wizards. Uh, hope it all works out. Uh, but the most important thing is, Dave, just stay safe. You as well. And, and again, uh, a, a tremendous thrill for me to spend some time with you and, and thank you so much thanks Dave you have a good day okay. Dave Johnson voice of the Washington Wizards are they going to the postseason no probably not probably not but you know that that, that doesn't mean anything really in, in the overall scheme of things they get John Wall back and they've got Bradley Beal and there's some discussion by the way that, I mean, Bradley Beal, a lot of teams want him. The guy is a superstar and doesn't get near the credit he deserves. I, I, I've never seen anything like it to where a guy like this doesn't get any kind of recognition whatsoever. Um, it, it's astounding to me, really. Uh, it just really is astounding to me. I, I just never saw anything like it. It, it, it makes me crazy, frankly, when, when I hear... Uh, Bradley Beal got 35 tonight, and Bradley Beal got 40 tonight, and the Wizards lose a game. Is it was it Bradley Beal's fault? No. Is he a selfish player? No. 
Uh, I look at this. The guy has ability to the point of where he he carries a team. Now, he didn't carry him enough, unfortunately, but, you know, they, they're not that far away. Uh, they got a, a lot of good young players that will present uh, some positives uh, as we move along. They got a really good coach in Scott Brooks. I never saw anything like it. They got seven assistant coaches. Wow. I mean, I didn't. I'm young enough to remember the Knicks when they had Red Holzman was the coach and they had no assistants. The only guy on the, other, on the bench with him was the trainer. That's it. It was him and the trainer. <laughs> and it was incredible. Now you got seven assistant coaches on the Wizards bench. Well, they can't be sitting on the Wizards bench. They're probably sitting in the row right behind them. But that aside, it's, uh, it's very interesting to say the least. The NBA is very interesting. It's got more sides to it. Uh, it's it's incredible to me that a league as successful as the NBA has its critics, but they do. A Major League Baseball has its critics. Uh, the NFL has its critics. Is it all justified? I guess if you dig deep, it is. The reality is, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. We 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 want to see sports for what they are. It provides an outlet. That's what sports is, and it's always been that way. We want to go to the game. We want to watch it on television. We want to sit there with our favorite beverage. We want to go with a bunch of our friends to the local watering hole and sit and have arguments and debate and watch a football game on a Sunday afternoon. Personally, I'd rather sit home and watch a football game on a Sunday afternoon. Yeah, it's all, you know, it's all about personal preference. But having said that, uh, it's going to be very, very interesting to see how all of this shakes out in terms of pro sports coming back, in terms of college sports coming back, and all the rest. I'm looking forward to it. I know you are as well. I want you to have a safe day. I want you to stay out of trouble. And whatever you do, uh, you come on back and join me again tomorrow for Howard David Live. Have a good day. And to close out the show, a friendly reminder that Howard David Inside Sports is brought to you by betonline.ag. Go to betonline.ag, use the promo code MYPOD100, and they'll match your first deposit up to $1,000. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great rest of your week. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube